Chapter 2 of Rip Foster Rides the Gray Planet by Harold Goodwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rip Foster Rides the Gray Planet. Chapter 2 Rake That Radiation. The deputy commander and the safety officer got untangled and hurried to their posts, with no more than black looks at Rip. He got to his feet, his face crimson with embarrassment. A fine entrance for a planeteer officer, especially one on his first orders. Around him the spacemen were settling in their acceleration seats or snapping belts to safety hooks. From the direction of the stern came a rising roar as methane, heated to a liquid, dropped into the blast tubes, flaming into pure carbon and hydrogen under the terrible heat of the atomic drive. Rip had to lean against the acceleration. Fighting for balance, he picked up his spack and made his way to the nine enlisted planeteers. They had braced against the ship's drive by sitting with backs against bulkheads or by lying flat on the magnesium deck. Sergeant Major Koa was seated against a vertical brace, his brown face wreathed in a grin as he waited for his new officer. Rip looked him over carefully. There was a saying among the planeteers that an officer was only as good as his senior sergeant. Koa's looks were reassuring. His face was good-humored, but he had a solid jaw and a mouth that could get tough when necessary. Rip wondered a little at his size. Big men usually didn't go into space. They were too subject to space sickness. Koa must be a special case. Rip slid to the floor next to the sergeant-major and stuck out his hand. He sensed the strength in Koa's big fist as it closed over his. Koa said, "'Sir, that was the best fleetle I've ever seen an earthling make. You been on Venus?' Rip eyed him suspiciously, wondering if the big planeteer was laughing at him. Koa was grinning, but it was a friendly grin. "'What is a fleetle?' Rip demanded. "'I've never been on Venus.' "'It's the way the waterhole people fight.' Koa explained. They're like a bunch of rubber balls when they get to fighting. They ram each other with their heads." Rip searched his memory for data on Venus. He couldn't recall any mention of fleetling. Venusians, if his memory was right, had a sort of blowgun as a main weapon. He told Koa so. The sergeant-major nodded. "'That's when they mean business, lieutenant.' Fleetling is more like us fighting with our fists. Sort of a sport. Great cosmos, the way they dive at each other is something to see." Rip grinned. I didn't know I was going to fleetle those officers. It isn't the way I usually enter a cruiser. He hadn't entered many. He added, I suppose I ought to report to someone. Koa shook his head. No use, sir. You can't walk around very well until the ship reaches Brenschluss. Besides, you won't find any space officers who'll talk to you." Rip stared. Why not? Because we're planeteers. They'll give us the treatment. They always do. When the commander of this bucket gets good and ready, he'll send for you. Until then, we might as well take it easy." He pulled a bar of Venusian true from his pocket. Have some. It'll make breathing easier. The terrific acceleration made breathing a little uncomfortable, but it was not too bad. 
The chief effect was to make Rip feel as though a ton of invisible feathers were crushing him against the vertical brace. He accepted a bite of the bitter-sweet vegetable candy and munched thoughtfully. Koa seemed to take it for granted that the spacemen would give them a rough time. He asked, "'Aren't there any spacemen who get along with the Special Order Squadrons?' "'Never met one,' Koa chewed true. "'And I was on the Icarus when the whole thing started.' Rip looked at him in surprise. Koa didn't seem that old. The bad feeling between spacemen and Special Order Squadrons had started about eighteen years ago, when the cruiser Icarus had taken the first planeteers to Mercury. He reviewed the history of the expedition. The spacemen's job had been to land the newly created Special Order Squadron on the hot planet. The job of the squadron was to explore it. Somehow confusion developed, and the spacemen, including the officers, later reported that the squadron had instructed them to land on the sun side of Mercury, which would have destroyed the spaceship and its crew or so they believed at the time. The commanding officer of the squadron denied issuing such an order. He said his instructions were to land as close as possible to the sun side, but not on it. Whatever the truth, and Rip believed the S.O.S. version, of course, the crew of the Icarus mutinied, or tried to. They made the landing on Mercury with squadron guns pointed at their heads. Of course, they found that a sun side landing wouldn't have hurt the ship. The whole affair was pretty well hushed up, but it produced bad feeling between the Special Order Squadrons and the spacemen. Trigger-happy space-bums, the spacemen called them, and much worse besides. The men of the Special Order Squadrons, searching for a handy nickname, had called themselves Planeteers, because most of their work was on the planets. As Major Joe Barris had told the officers of Rip's class, you might say the spacemen own space, but we planeteers own everything solid that's found in it. The planeteers were the specialists, in science, exploration, colonization, and fighting. The spacemen carried them back and forth, kept them supplied, and handled their message traffic. The planeteers did the hard work and the important work, or so they believed. To become a planeteer, a recruit had to pass rigid intelligence, physical, aptitude, and psychological tests. Fewer than fifteen out of each one hundred who applied were chosen. Then there were two years of hard training on the space platform and the moon before a recruit was finally accepted as a planeteer private. Out of each fifteen who started training, an average of five fell by the wayside. For planeteer officers, the requirements were even tougher. Only one out of each five hundred applicants finally received a commission. Six years of training made them proficient in the techniques of exploration, fighting, rocketeering, and both navigation and astrogation. In addition, each became a full-fledged specialist in one field of science. Rip's specialty was astrophysics. Sergeant Major Koa continued, That business on the Icarus started the war but both sides have been feeding it ever since. I have to admit that we planeteers loaded over the spacemen like we were old man Cosmos himself. So they get back at us with dirty little tricks while we're on their ships. We command on the planets, but they command in space. And they sure get a great big nuclear charge out of commanding us to do the dirty work." "'We'll take whatever they hand us,' Rip assured him, "'and pretend we like it fine.' 
he gestured at the other planeteers. Tell me about the men, Koa. They're a fine bunch, sir. I hand-picked them myself. The one with the white hair is Corporal Nels Peterson. He's a Swede. I served with him at Marsport, and he's a real rough space spickaroo in a fight. The other corporal is little Paulo Santos. He's a Filipino and the best snapper-boat gunner you ever saw." He pointed out the six privates. Camp and Doust were Americans. Bradshaw was an Englishman, Trudeau a Frenchman, Domenico an Italian, and Nunez a Brazilian. Rip liked their looks. They were as relaxed as acceleration would allow, but you got the impression that they would leap into action in a microsecond if the word were given. He couldn't imagine what kind of assignment was waiting, but he was satisfied with his planeteers. They looked capable of anything. He made himself as comfortable as possible and encouraged Koa to talk about his service in the Special Order Squadrons. Koa had plenty to tell, and he talked interestingly. Rip learned that the tall Hawaiian had been to every planet in the system, had fought the Venusians on the Central Desert, and had mined nuclite with SOS-1 on Mercury. He also found that Koa was one of the seventeen pure-blooded Hawaiians left. During the three hours that acceleration kept them from moving around the ship, Rip got a new view of space and of service with the SOS. It was the view of a planeteer who had spent years around the solar system. "'I'm glad they assigned you to me,' Rip told Koa frankly. "'This is my first job, and I'll be pretty green, no matter what it is. I'll depend on you for a lot of things.' To his surprise, Koa thrust out his hand. "'Shake, Lieutenant!' His grin showed strong white teeth. "'You're the first junior officer I ever met who admitted he didn't know everything about everything. You can depend on me, sir. I won't steer you into any meteor swarms.' Koa had half turned to shake hands. Suddenly he spun on around, his head banging against the deck. Rip felt a surge of loosened muscles that had been braced against acceleration. At the same time, silence flooded in on them with an almost physical shock. He murmured, Brenschluss, and the murmur was like a trumpet blast. The Scorpius had reached velocity, and the nuclear drive had cut out. From terrific acceleration, they had dropped to zero. The ship was making high speed, but velocity cannot be felt. For the moment, the men were weightless. A nearby spaceman had heard Rip's comment. He spoke in an undertone to the man nearest. His voice was pitched low enough that Rip couldn't object officially, but loud and clear enough to be heard by everyone. Get this, gang. The planeteer officer knows what branch loose is. He doesn't look old enough to know which end his bubble goes on. Rip started to his feet, but Koa's hand on his arm restrained him. With a violent kick, the big sergeant-major shot through the air. His line of flight took him past the spaceman, and somehow their arms got linked. The spaceman was jerked from his post, and the two came to a stop against the ceiling. Koa's voice echoed through the ship. "'Sorry. I'm not used to no weight. Didn't mean to grab you. Here, I'll help you back to your post.' He whirled the helpless spaceman like a bag of feathers and slung him through the air. The force of the action only flattened Koa against the ceiling, but the hapless spaceman shot forward head first and landed with a clang against the bulkhead. He didn't hit hard enough to break any bones, but he would carry a bump on his head for a day or two. 
Koa's voice floated after him. "'Great Cosmos! I sure am sorry, spaceman. I guess I don't know my own strength.' He kicked away from the ceiling, landing accurately at Rip's side. He added in a hard voice all could hear. "'They sure are a nice gang, these spacemen. They'd never say anything about planeteers.' No spaceman answered, but Koa's meaning was clear. No spaceman had better say anything about the planeteers. Rip saw that the deputy commander and the safety officer had appeared not to notice the incident. Technically, there was no reason for an officer to take action. It had all been an accident. He smiled. There was a lot he had to learn about dealing with spacemen, a lot Koa evidently knew very well indeed. Suddenly he began to feel weight. The ship was going into rotation. The feeling increased until he felt normally heavy again. There was no other sensation, even though the space cruiser was now spinning on its axis through space at unaltered speed. The centrifugal force produced by the spinning gave them an artificial gravity. Now that he thought about it, Brenschluss had come pretty early. The trip apparently was going to be a short one. Brenschluss. Funny, he thought, how words stay on in a language, even after their original meaning is changed. Brenschluss was German for burn out. It was rocket talk, and it meant the moment when all the fuel in a rocket burned out. It had come into common use because the English burn out could also mean that the engine itself had burned out. The German word meant only the one thing. Now, in nuclear drive ships, the same word was used for the moment when power was cut off. Words interested him. He started to mention it to Koa just as the telescreen lit up. An officer's face appeared. "'Send that planeteer officer to the commander,' the voice said. "'Tell him to show an exhaust.' Rip called instantly to the safety officer. "'Where's his office?' The safety officer motioned to a spaceman. "'Show him, Nelson.' Rip followed the spaceman through a maze of passages, growing more weightless with each step. The closer to the center of the ship they went, the less he weighed. He was drawing himself along by plastic pull cords when they finally reached the door marked Commander. The spaceman left without a word or a salute. Rip pushed the lock bar and pulled himself in by grabbing the door frame. He couldn't help thinking it was a rather undignified way to make an entrance. Seated in an acceleration chair, a safety belt across his middle, was Space Commander Kevin O'Brien, an Irishman out of Dublin. He was short, as compact as a Dido rocket, and obviously unfriendly. He had a mathematically square jaw, a lopsided nose, green eyes, and sandy hair. He spoke with a pronounced Irish brogue. Rip started to announce his name, rank, and the fact that he was reporting as ordered. Commander O'Brien brushed his words aside and stated flatly, "'You're a planeteer. I don't like planeteers.' Rip didn't know what to say, so he kept still, but sharp anger was rising inside of him. O'Brien went on. "'Instructions say I'm to hand you your orders en route. They don't say when. I'll decide that. Until I do decide, I have a job for you and your men.' Do you know anything about nuclear physics?" Rip's eyes narrowed. He said cautiously, "'A little, sir.' "'I'd assume you know nothing. Foster, 
The designation SCN means space cruiser nuclear. This ship is powered by a nuclear reactor, in other words, an atomic pile. You've heard of one? Rip controlled his voice, but his red hair stood on end with anger. O'Brien was being deliberately insulting. This was stuff any planeteer recruit knew. I've heard, sir. Fine, it's more than I had expected. Well, Foster, a nuclear reactor produces heat. Great heat. We use that heat to turn a chemical called methane into its component parts. Methane is known as marsh gas, Foster. I wouldn't expect a planeteer to know that. It's composed of carbon and hydrogen. When we pump it into the heat coils of the reactor, it breaks down and creates a gas that burns and drives us through space. But that isn't all it does. Rip had an idea what was coming, and he didn't like it. Nor did he like Commander O'Brien. It was not until much later that he learned that O'Brien had been on his way to Terra to see his family for the first time in four years, when the cruiser's orders were changed. To the commander, whose assignments had been made necessary by the needs of the special order squadrons, it was too much. So he took his disappointment out on the nearest planeteer, who happened to be Rip. To gases go through tubes, O'Brien went on. A little nuclear material also leaks into the tubes. The tubes get coated with carbon, Foster. They also get coated with nuclear fuel. We use thorium. Thorium is radioactive. I won't give you a lecture on radioactivity, Foster, but thorium mostly gives off the kind of radiation known as alpha particles. Alpha is not dangerous unless breathed or eaten. It won't go through clothes or skin. But when mixed with fine carbon, thorium alpha contamination makes a mess. It's a dirty mess, Foster, so dirty that I don't want my spacemen to fool with it. I want you to take care of it instead, you and your men. The deputy commander will assign you to a squad room. Settle in, then draw equipment for the supply room and get going. When I want to talk to you again, I'll call for you. Now blast off, lieutenant, and rake that radiation. Rake it clean. Rip forced a bright and friendly smile. Yes, sir, he said sweetly. We'll rake it so clean you can see your face in it, sir. He paused, then added politely, if you don't mind looking at your face, sir, to see how clean the tubes are, I mean. Rip turned and got out of there. Koa was waiting in the passageway outside. Rip told him what had happened, mimicking O'Brien's Irish accent. The sergeant major shook his head sadly. This is what I meant, lieutenant. Cruisers don't clean their tubes more than once in ten accelerations. The commander's just thinking up dirty work for us to do, like I said. Never mind, Rip told him. Let's find our squad room and get settled, then draw some protective clothing and equipment. We'll clean his tubes for him. Our turn will come later. He remembered the last thing Joe Barris had said only a few hours before. Joe was right, he thought. To ourselves, we're supermen, but to the spacemen, we're just simps. Evidently, O'Brien was the kind of space officer who ate planeteers for breakfast. Rip thought of the way the commander had turned red with rage at that crack about his face, and he resolved, he may eat me for breakfast, but I'll be a very tough mouthful. End of chapter 2